0: She was called Mighty Mia. In 2007, she was just 18 years old, embarking on her freshman year of college at the University of Arizona and excited about the new chapter in her life. A member of the Navajo Nation, Mia had dreams to become a doctor and return to her tribe to help her people. She never got that chance. This is a story of Mia Janelle Henderson.
1: Hey guys, this is Osh. This is Shiyashi. This is Maggie, and you're listening to We Are Resilient.
0: We think we just now got our stride (laughs) two years in.
2: We're just saying our names.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You wrote your name down the last episode. I did. All right, so we're back again this week with another listener request, and before I get started... Um, I did want to mention to you guys that I did get an email from a listener who was very kindly asking us to do a better job at pronouncing names.
1: Uh, which name specifically?
0: Um, she specifically said Kotzebue. Okay. And uh, I know in a P.
1: Yeah, I, I knew I said it wrong in the second episode.
0: Yeah, I I still struggle with that one. So I had to like spell it out phonetically so I can make sure that I say these correctly. Yeah. So... I just wanted to kind of take a moment at the top of the episode just to kind of recognize, you know, her words and that we do take to heart the importance of pronouncing names as best as we can. I mean, with a name like Shiyashi, I've had to, like, repeat my name like 500 different times growing up.
2: And Asha. Asha knows. Because I get called Alicia all the time.
0: (laughs) Well, and we we understand as Indigenous people, pronunciation matters, you know. And what I've found is a lot of the time with some of these names... um, you really, really have to dig. Otherwise, there's no like clear.
1: <clears throat> there's not references to that, know. Yeah. So without like knowing someone who lives there is a part of that tribe, then you really don't know how to say it. Mm-hmm. You're just mm-hmm. guessing.
2: Yeah. And our colonized mind just—it's hard for us to
1: our colonized. Mind. And even like the news stories, like we pulled up news stories about Katsube. Katsube. Katsubu, Katsube. And they said it wrong too. So. so they,
0: mm-hmm. It's just. It's, it's a, it's, it's a little bit of a battle, but I just wanted to recognize that we're, we're doing our best and we're going to try to do better to make sure that we get these names right. And let us know. So with that being said, today, I'm going to talk about, um, Mia Janelle Henderson. She was a young woman who was 18 years old at the time of her death. Now, Mia Janelle Henderson was born April 10th, 1989 in Fort Defiance, New Mexico of the Edgewater People Clan. She was a member of the Navajo Nation. She is remembered as a brilliant young academic star whose humor and physical beauty was matched by her kindness and generosity of spirit by her former softball teammates from Tuba City, Arizona High School. Um, She was remembered well by her teachers, her Catholic church members, and her local communities. She was considered one of the most promising young scholars and athletes to come out of Tuba City High School. Right off when I hear these things, and we talk about this before, it's really, really hard when you hear about the promising futures of these women, only for them to be cut short. Um, She was the granddaughter of a former vice chairman of the Navajo Nation, and she had a long list of academic accomplishments. According to one of her favorite teachers, Kaylin Smith, quote, Mia was the model student there was never any incidences with her at all. She was completely responsible at following through with any assigned task. And she was extremely generous in helping others who were having trouble in class. And she did it with such humor and grace. Um, she was known locally by several several affectionately given monikers, like Princess Mia, Skipper, Number 15, and this is my favorite one, Mighty Mia. <laughs> Thank you. cute? So we're going to get into Mia's story. She was a freshman. At the University of Arizona, when in September 2007, she was stabbed to death in a pre-dawn struggle with her roommate, then 18-year-old Galerica Harrison, also a Navajo Nation member and freshman at UA. They were both part of UA's Native American First Year Scholar Program. And for the remainder of this episode, I'll just refer to Galerica by her last name, Harrison. Was her roommate? It's her roommate. And they were both Native Americans.
2: Did they know each other before?
0: no and this is in september 2007 and she was a freshman so you know
2: it was a brand new relationship
0: brand new and what semesters don't start till like the end of august mm-hmm. so this is yeah. just right into weeks probably weeks yeah. yeah according to a lawsuit that mia's parents the hendersons filed against ua the state and the board of regents mia had told the ua police a week before she died That Harrison had stolen her Social Security card, her UA CAT card, which is like similar to a debit card, and that she had also reported that Harrison had withdrawn $500 from her bank account without her permission. Mia also told the Dean of Students, Dormitory Housing Administrator, and the Native American First Year Scholars Program what Harrison had done. So it
1: was nothing done?
0: No. It Hmm. was just one of these things, like, it's fine. You guys will get over it. You guys will make up. But at this point, I'm like, she stole money from her and stole her
1: social security card. Like, Like, why were the police not involved?
0: I don't know. The lawsuit also states that Mia asked for Harrison to be reassigned to another dorm room, but was ignored, even though Harrison had confessed all of this to a university police officer. Which I'm assuming this is why the Hendersons filed a lawsuit against UA, because... This was a week before she died and it's if she was
1: negligent, w- right? Mhm.
0: The Henderson's attorneys claim Harrison had not only confessed to the crimes involving Mia, but that Harrison also admitted she'd stolen another girl's identification and forged but not yet cashed two other separate checks totaling $3,000. The lawsuit states quote, the university was aware that Harrison was emotionally upset fearful that she was being prosecuted, angry that Mia had reported her crimes and blamed Mia rather than her own criminal acts as a source of her difficulties. Some act of retribution by Harrison was reasonably foreseeable and reasonable care required simple precautions for Mia's protection, which negligence. That's exactly what that is. So why would you have them in the same room? And why would you not, why would there be no repercussions?
1: What I don't understand is why they didn't Mm -hmm. at least, like, offer to separate the two. Like, why would they not say, well, you know, do you want to move to a different dorm? Do you want to move somewhere where you're going to be safer? Like, why was her safety not taken into consideration? Even if it's just, like, her financial safety, not her physical safety.
0: Right. Because if all this happened a week before she died, there should have been some kind of action taken. It should have dealt with her well-being. Especially considering the severity of the crimes
1: being committed. Well, and an 18-year-old is not going to know how to handle that. I mean, think about when you were 18. Like, you didn't know how to navigate the world. Mm -hmm. Much less, like, dealing with something so serious. Especially if she's been, like, a model student. You know, never gotten in trouble. This is probably... Mm very new to her in regards mm-hmm. of just, like, dealing with something.
0: It's one of those things where, like, if you haven't really experienced, like, unruly people or people that just have bad intentions, you don't know how to deal with them when you come across one, because it's... You wouldn't think somebody... Because I'm always surprised when people do stuff. I know you you guys aren't, but I'm always like, oh, my God.
1: Yeah. And at <laughs> 18, you, you know, you wouldn't really know when to involve police.
0: That's true. But it sounds like she did what she was supposed to do. Yeah. And still nothing happened, which is really, really tragic, given... What happened to her? So, according to the court reports, Harrison initially told police she had came to she came to her dorm room early on the morning of September fifth, two thousand seven and found Mia and an unknown man there. Harrison said the man told Mia to kill her when Mia refused, the unknown man attacked Mia with a knife. Harrison then said he turned the knife on her when she tried to help, and she managed to get away and ran down the hall screaming for help. Harrison further speculated that the unknown men must have gotten away through a window when she left for help. And this is what she told authorities? Yes. She later told police it was Mia who had been stealing from her in secret and at gunpoint, telling them Mia had ordered her to use her own cat card to purchase items and to cash a forged check. She also said Mia had forced her to confess these thefts to a UA police officer. So
1: right off, she's just... Turning it all on Mia. Pointing fingers. So I hope that they did an investigation and found that there was no one else in the apartment or dorm.
0: They did. So <clears throat> UA police detectives had confronted Harrison on her inconsist- inconsistencies in her initial statements and noted that Harrison told him two emergency room workers that Mia attacked her, but there was no physical evidence to support her claim or her story about the unknown man. On the morning of Mia's death, Harrison said Mia had taunted her about possibly going to jail Then tried to attack her with a knife. So, at this point, it sounds to me like Harrison is claiming some kind of self-defense. She just was an unknown bystander. she came in and... What year was this? 2007. So, Harrison had first said the knife was Mia's, or she said it was the unknown man had a knife. Then she said it was Mia's knife. And when the detectives confronted her on this, she admitted she bought the knife at Target the night before. And in the initial police report, detectives did find a receipt among her belongings for the knife purchase, which was dated September 4th, 2007. Again, the night before Mia's murder.
2: So she planned it. Yeah. And I'm thinking back, did they live in dorm rooms? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like... Like, when I lived in dorm rooms at school, there's always people in the hallways. There's always people in the lounges downstairs. Like, I don't know what floor they were on. Like, typical dorm rooms are 10, 12, 13 stories high. Mm -hmm. For him to jump out of a window? Wait, he come through a window? She said that he must have escaped through a window. A lot of
1: the dorm room windows don't even open.
2: (sighs) Not for someone to get out, yeah. Yeah, I'm not
0: sure. And from what I read, there was witnesses that were, um, because eventually this did go to trial, who said that um, they woke up to screaming, because this was early morning. So they woke up to screaming, and one had specifically said that she heard screaming, and it sounded like... Almost like a scuffle, like somebody
1: was moving furniture. Mm -hmm. And then she said, all of a sudden, everything just stopped. Well, I was going to say, too, is like most dorm rooms, like you can hear everything. Yeah. You You know, like everything next door. Like if someone moves their bed, if someone's playing music, like you can hear everything. You can hear above you and below you. Yeah.
0: Which... Could be the reason why she tried to use this unknown man theory, which doesn't really play out. But as you can see so far, it's not really. Yeah, because the dots aren't
2: connecting. I lived in a co-ed dorm, but we had girl halls and then boy halls. Mm -hmm. And anytime something happened, the girls were quick to come to the dorm. Like, what's going on? Sticking their heads out, you know. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't make sense that a man would chase somebody down the hallway without somebody seeing it.
0: Well, he didn't. Remember, she, but, she yeah. ran down the hallway and he she said that he got out the window. I don't know.
2: Right, right, right. That's what I mean. Like She was if, really if trying a to man, piece this story together. If a man really was chasing a girl screaming down the hallway, somebody would have seen it. That's true. So, after purchasing the knife,
0: Harrison had wrote a fake note pretending to be Mia saying the forgery allegations were false. She wrote as Mia that she was committing suicide because she was unhappy with dorm life. It read, quote, I thought over the whole weekend of just putting an end to life. I didn't know how to tell my parents about the situation. I felt completely lost. I felt crazy. The suicide note even mentioned Harrison saying that Mia was jealous of her roommate and other students. Stating, quote, she's a nice enough girl. The note read, I could not take how much her family loves her.
1: So this girl, well, she's trying to make it a a murder by, you know, some masked man. And now Mm -hmm. she's saying it's a suicide. Yeah. Okay. So she can't even get her stories right.
0: Mm-mm. She's all over the place. She is all over the place. She's a narcissist. That's what it sounds like to me. Cause it's like, first it was an unknown man. Then it was Mia taunted her and attacked her. And then now she purchased this knife and then wrote a suicide note. There was some forethought there.
2: Definitely. So
0: court documents noted the victim was asleep in her own bed and the defendant left the note on the victim's desk. After several minutes to reflect on the situation, the defendant stabbed the victim numerous times. The victim died as a result of the
1: injuries. So it sounds like ultimately she confessed?
2: Mm-hmm. After she was confronted with the...
1: Dis- you know, the, the inconsistencies, yeah. You know?
2: After the inconsistencies of all of her stories.
1: Yeah, yes. multiple different stories yes. that didn't make any sense. And she's like, oh, well, I'll just tell the truth now.
0: Well, and then what's scary is that it's saying that Mia was asleep in her bed. When this happened? When this happened.
1: I can't imagine how it felt. One... be scared of someone Mm -hmm. already you know knowing that they're going to be that that they've taken your things and then two waking up someone stabbing you while you're sleeping Mm -hmm. i i cannot even imagine Mm -hmm.
0: now harrison did have one significant cut to her leg and insisted that she stabbed mia only three times however an autopsy later documented that mia was stabbed 14 times in the back and had nine wounds elsewhere on her person She was stabbed 23 times. You said she had
2: 14 stabs on her back, and then you said on her person. And nine wounds elsewhere on her person.
1: So the back was probably when she was sleeping, right? Mm -hmm. And then she's woken up and probably tried to fight back.
2: What does that mean on her person? Just elsewhere elsewhere, elsewhere on her body. But
0: in total, she was stabbed 23 times. You know, 20 that's rage right there. Yeah. She had admitted to a U.A. uh, police officer that Mia was just lying there and explained that Mia woke up before she stabbed her the first time. Mm. Clearly she was arrested and um, there was a trial set in the latter half of 2008. A Pima County jury on September 19th, 2008 convicted Harrison of first degree murder, identity theft and forgery. During the trial, prosecutors presented evidence that Harrison began plotting to kill Mia days before the incident. So I had read that... She had been talking to a friend about having another friend that was suicidal and making those kind of allusions to someone potentially committing suicide. And as we know from her, her fake suicide note, you know, we can kind of connect the dots there. Pima County Superior Court Judge Nanette M. Warner later sentenced Galarica Harrison to prison without the possibility of parole. During that time, the judge stated, quote, you killed her in a very violent way with repeated stabbing. There's just no way around that. You did that. The choices you made that you put into motion the first week you came to school, the choices you made in the early morning of September 5th, no sentence I can give can change that. Nothing I can do can give the Henderson family back their daughter or erase their pain. This was in the first week of school. And before I go on, I do want to mention that part of the defense for her was that she had experienced um, apparently a lot of trauma growing up. Well, that's what I was actually just about
1: to ask.
0: Yeah. And I didn't really get too far into, I guess, her background because this is really about Mia. But their defense was that she experienced a lot of trauma and poverty and that she was not well equipped to go off to school and be on her own, which I can get to an extent, but a lot of people aren't well equipped to go off and do things and they don't go out and murder people.
1: Well, that and, you know, getting the opportunity to change your life. And, you know, going to a university and having the chance should make anyone want to do better. You know, mm-hmm. poverty and trauma aside, there are resources there. You know, she could have probably gone counseling. She probably could have gotten, like, tutors, you know, anyone to help her through life. So, I mean.
0: She could have been better.
1: Yeah. She could have changed her story. Mm-hmm. Instead, she completely ruined it.
0: Stole money. I think, they, I think I read somewhere that she had came to school with, like, $200 in her pocket she didn't have much. I guess that's why she had resorted to stealing. But, you know, at the same time, like, you're right. There's an opportunity there to be better and do better. And there's plenty of people that are in school that have had to work jobs, you know, go to school and, you know, yeah. work and do those things without resorting to violence theft and then murder. So,
2: was she, did you say what tribe she was from?
0: They're both Navajo. <clears throat>
2: Where was she from?
0: Um,. It was a little town in Arizona. I can't remember the name of it. Chinle. 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 Somewhere around there. So at the trial, about 25 members of Henderson's family from the Navajo Nation attended the sentencing, many of whom also gave victim impact statements to court. Harrison's attorney, assistant public defender, John O'Brien, called the killing a crime of passion, which I don't think that's true because if that was if it's premeditated, it's not a crime of passion, right?
1: I consider it like a crime of passion. Like, like if you in walked moment, in on someone, your husband with another woman, you know, yeah. like killing someone in that would be like a crime of passion it's to me. It's in the moment. That's yeah. what I would think. Yeah.
0: Um, but he called the killing a crime of passion and said, Gallerica is truly, truly sorry for the pain that she has caused. When asked whether Harrison wanted to speak before being sentenced, O'Brien said, quote, she's very, very overwhelmed right now.
1: Oh, that poor girl. Poor
0: girl. But in a soft, halting voice, Harrison said... And get this, she said, "I just want everybody to know that we all suffered from this."
1: Oh my gosh, well, I mean, I get, I get that to an extent. Like, two lives are ruined, right? Like, right. one family's ruined because they no longer have a daughter, which is well, it, it cannot compare to a family being ruined because their daughter's in jail for killing her, right? Like, two lives are ruined, but so clearly, that you know,
0: that we all suffered from this. You didn't, you, you, none of this would have happened had she not made the choices she made. You know, she didn't have to steal. You know, and first week of school, like, you just got there. What are you
2: doing? Maybe it's something she's always
1: done. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking that, too, when you say, like, trauma. Maybe it's something she was taught.
0: Which is a shame because it sounds like Mia would have been a really good influence on her.
1: Yeah, like, they could have, you know, she probably would have helped her. Like you said in Mm -hmm. in the beginning, when she helped people in school, she could have helped her be better. Yeah. And instead, she killed her.
0: Mm -hmm. She could have learned a lot from her and... It's just, it's really, really sad. Um, the prosecutor said that this case was unique in terms of the ripple effect Henderson's death had, her own, had on her own and extended families, but also on the entire Navajo Nation and the university community. He noted Henderson's dreams of becoming a doctor or a geneticist and returning to the reservation to help her people. Like she was going to do things. After the sentencing, uh, there was a quote that said, the Navajo Nation has lost someone who was going to be a star. Henry Henderson, Mia's father, said only, I'm at a loss for words. Now, in 2013, six years after Mia's death, Harrison's attorneys had been arguing and filing an appeal for a resentencing, stating that information about Harrison had not been presented by previous attorneys during the original trial.
1: What was her original sentencing?
0: Um, it was... Life without parole. Yeah.
1: So, 30 years.
0: Prison without the possibility of parole. Um, the original ruling was altered and now provides Harrison with the chance of parole after 25 years. Uh-huh. And that was in 2013. What's the math here?
2: Well, was 24, so it's 21 years. That's 11 years ago.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 21?
2: I thought like, you said 03. And then I realized you said 13. I'm 11.
1: Like, Don't ask us to do math.
2: <laughs> the math ain't math in today. <laughs> I was like 21. <laughs> <laughs> you said it so confident too. I was like, Oh I don't know. Two
1: thousand thirteen was think, eleven years ago, I think.
2: I think because you said 07 earlier I had O. Oh.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well and then that was already six years after or at least five years. Two thousand eight was when she was sentenced. So that's sixteen.
2: Wait, what what now? Two thousand seven and she was sentenced. Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight and she was sentenced and six then, years later, 2014.
0: 2013
1: so that's 16 years
0: 16 that was right look at me <laughs> <laughs> okay um, yeah so 16 years and after oh my gosh so years,
1: 10 more years
0: mm-hmm.
1: she'll be able to be free
0: so in about another nine years uh, Galerica Harrison will be eligible for parole
1: Wow it's insane it but really you know is. it's just like we always talk about like life sentence is not truly life. the person's life. It's twenty five to thirty years, depending on where you live.
0: Which is crazy because in my head, before we started this podcast, but I hear think life sentence, I think for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, like yeah. until you're dead, right? Yeah. that's not the case.
0: Yeah, which is wild. But I can't imagine the family because at this two thousand thirteen resentencing, Mia's family was there hmm. and were pushing to reaffirm like do not give her eligibility for parole because they think she's a danger, which. I'm inclined to believe, because one, look what she did. And,
2: and the things that led up to it. And the
0: things that led up to it.
2: And the circumstances around it. She lied three times. Mm-hmm.
0: And, it was, and it was premeditated. That wasn't a crime of passion.
1: It was an impulse.
0: She bought a knife the night before and wrote a note. That's-
1: and lied multiple, you know, lied multiple different ways to try yeah. to get out of it. Like, yeah. that's concerning.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I would think someone who maybe owned up right away and said what I did was wrong You know, maybe they could be eligible for parole, but if the family's urging them not to give it as well, it's kind of messed up that they did.
0: Yeah, and I I read a quote there that, you know, it was like, it'd be a different scenario if Harrison had, like, repented and been, like, apologizing. You know, just something to say that she was truly sorry, but I'm I'm guessing the family didn't feel that from her at all.
1: No, it doesn't seem that way at all. Mm -hmm. Especially when she says,
2: we've all suffered from this.
0: None of this would happen had you not made the choices you made. And now... There was this really beautiful, smart, educated indigenous woman whose light was dimmed before she had a chance to really do something with herself and come back and help her people. And that's just one of the it's, that's I think that's really one of the saddest parts when we cover these stories is just how many strong indigenous women, you know, we could have out there doing all the things for their life to just be cut short over something like this. Again, this was a listener episode. Um, I wanted to uh, really share this one just because, I mean, it shows, it it really highlights the potential that was out there. And clearly this Harrison person, there was potential there too. She was in the same school. She was in the same program. Although I did read that the judge had made a comment that she shouldn't have even been admitted into the school because Mm. of her grades. Um, The listener had stated that this story, when she heard about it, has really, really just kind of stuck with her. And I can see why because Mia, Mighty Mia, sounded incredible. And this Harrison person probably could have learned a lot from her.
2: She could have been a better person a because better person. of Mighty Mia. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.